Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str. You have somehow ended up listening to the stuff that's real that you didn't know was real, but also is cool podcast or sturdy dick were bayek or uh, never mind. Welcome, 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 everyone. Come one, come all. We are Kevin and Nick, and we are hosting your all-time favorite podcast stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool we are going to jump right into things today because we've got some pretty awesome stuff to talk about i just got the link that kevin tossed me and so i'm i mean unless this is a horribly titled url um, i'm pretty sure i know what the subject is going to (laughs) be and uh i can't wait to get in so without further ado let's jump in for today's episode kevin how are you doing today i'm good man how are you welcome back to america Thank you. It's good to be back in America. <laughs> uh, people don't know what we're talking about there, but <laughs> just leave it up to their imagination. Sure, why not? No, I'm just Welcome I, I just moved again from Hawaii all the way over to the great continental United States back in Colorado Springs, and hopefully here to stay for a very long time. Okay, fair enough. And you just couldn't stand Hawaii. That's really what it came down to. The it's danger, just a terrible place, of course. Being on an island was too much for you. That's right. We are not on an island. This is my segue. Okay. So we are actually in Middleborough, Massachusetts, which is about half an hour from Plymouth, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Very difficult for me to say. Massachusetts. That's where all the nerds go to. Uh, Massachusetts study. is where you go. Uh, yeah. That's where. Yeah, exactly. Mathematics. <laughs> and so we are about half an hour from Plymouth. We've actually been to Plymouth once already, but Plymouth, of course, is. Sort of the birthplace of the nation, in a way. Uh, well, in, in a large way, that is where Plymouth Rock is located, which is where the pilgrims first disembarked from the Mayflower. Way back in December 26, 1620, so the day after Christmas, our gift to the Native Americans was our presence on this continent from that day forward. So, Merry Christmas, Indians. And so... That's where the uh, the new Plymouth, the colony of Plymouth, was founded. I found out a few things. So since we're here, I thought this would make a great topic. But there is a stuff that's cool element to what I'm going to discuss. But the setup here is that that's where the basically New England started. One thing that I learned is that when they came in on that bay, so there was the rock there, but the Mayflower was actually too big to come fully into the bay. So... It parked out in the uh, bay itself, and then the pilgrims rode inward. But one of the reasons we were told by an old guard or old tour guide or whatever he was at Plymouth Rock, and I suspect he knows because he was there, the reason the pilgrims chose that location was because there's actually a stream, a brook rather, that runs to the bay 
uh, and runs back inland, or actually it runs from inland to the bay, of course, but that's a freshwater brook. So the pilgrims chose that spot because they would have access to fresh, clean water, plus access to the bay. So they had fishing, they had a lot of resources there. So that's kind of the reason, one of the reasons they picked that spot. But the thing that I wanted to bring into our conversation today was actually something that happened in 1774, so two years before the founding of our nation. And that is when the citizens of Plymouth attempted to move Plymouth Rock, which at that time was this big, huge, heavy chunk of stone, natural stone. When they attempted to move it, it actually split in two along a horizontal crack. Now, I actually got to see the split because they used concrete to kind of patch it together. So you can actually see it. Yeah. I got a picture. Actually, Kara took a picture of me while I was taking a picture of the rock. They inscribed in the rock the date. We were told it used to be much bigger. But, of course, people kept coming along with chisels and taking chunks of it as a souvenir. So in the 20s, they um, enshrined it in this, like, looks like a little miniature coliseum kind of thing that has a little gate that has access to the bay. And it's a well-tended, well-groomed, well-protected little mausoleum-style thing. A portico is what they call it. So that protects it from anyone taking any more chunks out of it. And it's got the date of the Pilgrim Landing inscribed in it, 1620. And so it's there now. It's a permanent landmark forever. But back when they first tried to move it in 1774, it cracked in half. And so... According to legend, uh, the mishap, and I'll read this from the Britannica article that we're reading from, it says, the mishap was interpreted by patriots as a portent of the imminent separation of the colonies from Great Britain. The upper part of the rock was placed in the town square, but in 1834, it was moved again to the front of the Pilgrim Hall Museum, which is where it's at now. And at about this time, a conspicuous vertical crack developed in the upper part of the rock. So they took it as a sign that we were about to split from Great Britain. And, of course, two years later, we did. So (laughs) that's the stuff that's cool part. It's like the stone that was, in a lot of ways, symbolically the foundation of the United States or what would become the United States became a, you know, they read it like a tea leaf, basically. It became Mm. a portent of what was to come. I thought that was kind of cool. And so the, the thriller element of this for me, by the way, is that they inscribed 1620 in the rock. I, I thought they did it in the 20s, but according to this article, it was, may have happened in 1880. But the sort of thriller element of this for me is, so the rock's been moved, right, from its original location. So anything could be under that rock, right? So that's where the sort of fun mystery part starts for me. So I would actually tailor this as, you know, someone discovers that there's some hidden treasure of some kind underneath that rock and now the challenge is getting to it so the bad guys try to get to it and the good guys try to prevent the bad guys from getting to it or something along those lines so that was a whole bunch of stories started kind of spinning in my head once we actually got to stand and and take a look at that rock yeah that's cool so tell me again why why did they move the rock what was the the purpose for moving it I think mostly it's because over time, things start to, you know, the the bay and the beach and all that uh, area starts to kind of erode. So eventually that that isn't going to be, it would have been underwater eventually and quote unquote lost to us. So ironically, if they'd left it there, unless people just dove for it, it probably would have stayed safe and protected under the water. 
basically its original say it was much more massive originally, but because of the moves and people taking souvenirs and a few other things, it eventually was whittled down to what it is today, which is still a fairly large rock, but it's no by no means the kind of thing you would think someone would target from the bay as there's where we'll set foot, you know? But they used it as a sort of, it was big enough that it was used as a kind of pier to actually get into what is now the United States. That's what I know. <laughs> That's cool. No, I didn't know any of that stuff. I've actually never been there. I've, I've been to Massachusetts. My wife's family lives mostly there. And I was able to do the Freedom Mile or the Freedom Line, where they call it. It's like a, it's, yeah. it's a line that snakes through downtown Boston. And, right. And you just, you know, it's like all this independence, Revolutionary War era history. And it was incredible. I really enjoyed that. We're going to do that too. We're, we're looking forward are you? to trying uh, Yeah, We're probably going to do that in the next couple of weeks, but. Well, uh, take my advice. Don't do it in flip-flops. Well, that's exactly <laughs> what I'll be wearing. <laughs> Just <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I wear flip-flops. That is my go-to shoe. And for a good 10 years now, that's basically the only shoe I wear all the time, even hiking. Like I went this morning on a little hike. I took a walk found some trails. I got to see some wild turkeys, which was cool. But I'm in flip-flops the whole time. And I'm, I'm like scaling rocks. <laughs> I've walked like, I mean, at one point I went to Disney World and went to every single park. And I must have walked 100 miles that day. And I did it all in flip-flops. <laughs> so my toes I, are permanently I've numb. It. I've done it, but that's because in Hawaii, that's the only shoe you own. That, that is the, uh, I think legally, that is the state shoe in Hawaii. That's right. You call them, call yeah. them slippers, and that's all you got. Slippers. <laughs> yep. Now it slippers. sounds like you're in Massachusetts. Where slippers. are my slippers? Right, yeah. Park the that's car. Exactly right. Yeah. Park the exactly. car. I've yeah, been saying no, that so, uh, since we got here. <laughs> <laughs> trying to fit in. I like it. Clam chowder. What you, what you need to do is be like a pretentious, entitled sports fan, and then you'll fit right in. Yeah. What I want to do is go to like, one of the local bars in Boston and just start shouting that I want to see the Astros play. Where are the Astros? Put the Strohs on. <laughs> it's a good way to get beat up. That's, that uh, is, that's for sure. Yeah, I was weighing all the various options for having my ass kicked and it, that one seemed like the fastest. And most that's pros. probably the quickest way to do it. Yep, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. This is what, by the way, this is one of the things I love about what we're doing. There's been plenty of times you and I have talked already about plenty of things that I have not actually seen in person, but a few things mm -hmm. that I have. It's very cool because, you know, I just literally wrote a book that features Boston that I had started before we really even planned to get here. So it'll be, so all my research on Boston was sort of, you know, Google Maps and things like that, but I'll actually be able to visit the place before I'm finished with the book. I'm finished with the, the draft, but I can go in and add details and update it based on the experience we have there. So that's going to be touchstone for me. And so the same thing with Plymouth Rock and the history around that. I mean, at some point, I don't know that I would ever have come up with an idea for a story that featured Plymouth Rock, but now I have one. So there you go. no now guarantee I'll write that book, but at least I have a starting place. So. That's actually one of the places I stumble quite a bit is I have a hard time coming up with ideas sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like I've used all the good ideas or I feel like that somebody's used all the good ideas, you know? Yeah, you always come back to the same stuff. There's always the pyramids, the Aztec ruins, and the, you know, all the sort of standard stuff. But that's one of the things that I was always interested in and always wanted to do with the Kotler books was, you know, there's a lot of American history people don't even realize. Like, there's 
the U.S., the United States alone, out of the Americas, is more has more ancient history than people realize. But you, when you use right. the phrase ancient America, it seems like an oxymoron. But there is so much in the continental United States alone that would be would just be astounding. We don't even fully know all the history. So, right. you know, we're still right. uncovering yeah. things. They've actually found yeah. evidence of human life and activity here that dates back 12,000 years. I mean, that's astounding. <laughs> Yeah, that's his old no, I, civilization. <laughs> well, and it's funny you bring that up because talking about ancient American history, um, I'm actually going to be talking about ancient Mayan history. The, oh, excellent! Uh, the, All right, the, the people, the people of the Maya, and uh, you know that is probably one of the first things we think of when we think of ancient American history: the Aztec, the Inca, the Maya. Those even Olmec sometimes gets in there. Um, again, speaking of places we've actually visited giving us ideas. I lived down here for a little bit for a short stint and studied the Maya in um, region. And maybe it was a geography or geology experience, but it involved, obviously, we were living in this area in the Yucatan Peninsula, Yucatan State. So we got to study a ton of Mayan ruins. We got to go dig around and actually see some of this stuff up close and personal. You know, a lot of us have seen stock photos of like Chichen Itza pyramid down there. Beautiful ruins right on the shore in Belize, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and while that is absolutely an example of kind of the height of Mayan culture, it only tells part of the story. You know, this is a really incredible people, a uh, really incredible story. And it's incredible to me, mainly because we don't quite know why their civilization ended. Now, we still have Mayans. We still have people who are descended from the Mayan culture, the Mayan people. You know, like this is sort of like high Egyptian society where you've got these pyramids and pharaohs and kings and all emperors and all that. But then, you know, you can make a case that Rome showing up and modern civilization showing up and knocking on their door and wars being fought was kind of a predecessor to the, at least the catalyst for the downfall of that style of culture. Um, But I don't think anyone would argue that, you know, Egypt is gone. It's, It's obviously still there. We still have Egypt. We still have the pyramids. But we have some reason. We can kind of point to some very specific reasons why Egypt fell, quote unquote, fell. We don't really have that with the Maya. It just sort of disappeared, right? So let me kind of give a, a little brief overview here for anyone listening who, who may not know some of the dates and just kind of put this in perspective. We're talking about like kind of the height of this civilization showing up and sort of the pinnacle was about like what, 250 AD or something where they sort of came from farming and started to build cities and things like that. This is all the way back in the 1800 years before the birth of Christ. So 1800 BC is the very beginning of this, what we call the Mayan period. Okay. Um, and so they're growing crops. You know, this is pretty much what we expect. Crops, uh, corn, you know, like maize, beans, squash, cassava. Um, and then during what they call the middle pre-classic period, because everybody's got to name all these periods, <laughs> about <laughs> until 300 BC. Um, they began to expand their presence. They began to go up into the mountains a little bit more. And um, not mountains, I guess. There's highland and lowland regions. Um, there's really no mountains in, in Yucatan, actually. So, And they're not just there, actually. They're pretty far-reaching for a civilization. They're, well, and I think the reason for this is there are these different tribes, just like the Inca. Like They would take over a tribe, and that would become Inca, right? Yeah. They would become part of it. So there are all these different melting pot sort of civilizations that are birthing more and more people. And so the Population's increasing, but then collectively they're all called the Maya. And eventually, with breeding and stuff in different tribes, I think we get the term 
Maya, and I'm probably butchering all that, but you can imagine, you know, there wasn't just like all of a sudden, you know, Mayan civilization. It grew out of the people that were already there and they started organizing and they started developing their civilization a little bit more and eventually started building things like cities, which included giant pyramids, inscribing stone monuments. That's how we know that this civilization was pretty grand. I mean, we had gigantic structures that were lined up with celestial bodies, uh, lined up with astronomy or astronomical things. And they had a calendar, you know, that very, very accurate calendar. Um, Of course, most of us know the uh, apocryphal story of uh, the Mayans predicting the end of the world would be 2012, I think, December 2012. Uh, And of course, that didn't happen. Or maybe it did. I don't know. Actually, that could explain a lot of things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, when in the height of their period, in the classic period, began at 250. That was sort of the golden age of the Mayan empire. And it grew to some like 40 cities. So these are some cities you've probably heard of, like Palenque and Rio Beck and Tikal, Copan, uh, of course, Chichen Itza is in, in there with those. Uh, that's the, the the temple at Chichen Itza. And get this, at its peak, the population of this entire civilization may have reached 2 million to as many as 10 million people. There's a ton of people here. This yeah. is not like a small town. This is, you know, this is a very vast, wide-reaching uh, population. And of course, we don't really know how many people because you have a city over here and then a city over here and all the people in between are just subsistence farmers that may not even know they're part of this Mayan civilization, uh, part of this culture. Of course, they didn't have a census out there for those people. So we don't really know, but they did all kinds of crazy stuff, man. And if you've ever seen the movie, is it Apocalyptica? Apocalypto? Apocalyptica? One of them's a cello quartet or quintet or something. And then the other one's a movie by Mel Gibson. Yeah. I I saw the Mel Gibson movie. (laughs) I remember that came out right after I got back from Mexico and I was pretty excited because it tried to be as accurate as possible and kind of create this period piece, you know, where they would go and nab people from villages and take them and make them sacrifices, you know, to their sun, moon and rain gods and all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very, very similar to what we know of the Egyptian dynastic culture. So that's a little bit of background. Here's the deal. Like, we don't know why they fell away from power. We don't know what happened. It just right. says that from the late 8th through the end of the 9th century, so this is like 700 to 800, <laughs> something Sounds unknown Sounds like happened. somebody needs to go to Massachusetts. <laughs> Massachusetts would be my, guess, my next destination. And I'm reading from this history article. It says something unknown happened to shake the Maya civilization to its foundations. One by one, the classic cities in the southern lowlands were abandoned. By 900 AD, Maya civilization in that region had collapsed. So we have scholars have developed a bunch of competing theories, but we just don't know. You know, probably a pretty popular one, one that I probably, uh, the non-conspiratorial side of me thinks that the most realistic thing is the same thing that happened to the Rongo Rongo people out in Easter Island, was they just exhausted their surroundings. They just couldn't support as many people, you know, because it doesn't sound like this happened overnight. It wasn't a cataclysmic thing. We would have the, a geographic record if there was some kind of <laughs> comet impact or something. So it seems like these people just kind of gave up. You know, there just wasn't enough food. It was hard to maintain supply lines. And so they left and they kind of went out into the woods again, you know? Yeah, I think the exhausting resources thing might be a little stretch just because that territory includes things like the Amazon rainforest and, you know, some of the the most fertile territory on the planet. But there were a couple of things. One was a, a theory that there may have been some emerging pandemic, basically, a virus that emerged from the Amazon and from those regions that slowly decimated the population, which I think has some credence. There was also the, the theory that something was brought to that region by outsiders that we don't have a historic record of, like Polynesians right. or Vikings or any, you know, it could be anybody. Could be Vikings. Yeah. 
But wouldn't it be cool if it was Vikings? But it'd be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, the other one is there is evidence in the Lake Titicaca region that lake was not always a lake. There used to be a city there, and there was an basically a bay that led into the like Gulf of Mexico or that region at least. It had ocean access, but there is evidence of an asteroid strike in that region. Like they've actually found like the rim of the strike. And includes that that lake. The one thing that they think may have happened was there was an asteroid strike that essentially caused a sort of nuclear winter. And in the process of that, it created Lake Titicaca, which to this day is the only place on Earth where you can find freshwater seahorses. And the okay. seahorses started life as regular seahorses in the ocean, but they were trapped in this lake over time. It desalinated and they adapted and became freshwater seahorses. But because of that, so now those little pieces, all those things come together. There's actually, they found like ruins and artifacts under the water that indicate Mm. that there was sort of a mountainside city, I believe, in that region. And there's all kinds of indications. There's actually a culture there that lives on these like woven mats, their entire culture builds huts that are on these mats that they stitch together like islands they have a oral history of the time of the great flood basically so there's all these little indications that something disastrous happened in that region i lean towards the theory that there wasn't a meteor or asteroid i don't confess i don't know where the line of distinction is between the two but Something hit the earth and caused volcanic upheaval, caused tectonic upheaval, caused massive flooding, and Mm. caused a sort of miniature ice age. And I think it either drove people out of the region or just killed a whole bunch of them right off and and basically ended those civilizations. That's my theory. I like it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't study history while I was there, like research and all that. So my theory is no different than what most people, you know, most historians are going to say. I pretty much agree with the consensus. The difference is I actually think there could potentially have been a multitude of reasons that kind of happened. And we say at the same time, but really, I mean, this was over a thousand years. So it could have been one century this, one century that, the next century this, then a virus, all kinds of things that could have caused these people to finally say, you know, forget it, just give up. We're going to go back out into the countryside. There's even been a theory that the thing that wiped out the Mayans or wiped out Aztec and some of the Mayan civilization was actually the coming of Europeans and that they brought with them all these diseases and viruses from Europe that traveled ahead of them. So even Mm -hmm. though Europeans didn't discover most of the continent for century or more later, like in the span of a century, this is a theory. They inadvertently wiped out entire cultures just by showing up just by that's showing a, up right another, yeah so if that's the case i mean that is tragic and bizarre but i think about that in terms of like we're getting all these reports now of like actual admitted ufo presence and surrounding our battleships and things like that right. and you yep. always wonder like well if there's aliens if they're real if they're coming to our planet they got that technology why aren't they making contact And maybe that's why. (laughs) Maybe they know that the second they land, either we'll have a war of the world scenario and we wipe them out because of our viruses or the common cold or something, or Mm -hmm. they do that to us inadvertently. So, No, that's cool stuff. And I'll end it with this. I had a very visceral reaction. I was standing at the top of um, the, uh, and I really regret that I can't remember the name of the, the city, 
the Mayan city we were in in the Yucatan state, but it had been recently excavated and kind of renewed. But I remember standing on top of one of the temples. So you're a couple hundred feet, maybe a hundred feet in the air above the ground. And you're looking out over this, uh, this, this huge plain. The Yucatan is very, very flat. And I remember the guide we were with said, you see all these little hills out there. There's dozens of them. You can see all these little mounds and hills. And we all yeah, nodded. Yep. Okay. We see those. And he said, there are no hills in the Yucatan state. They don't exist. It's very flat. It's just a plateau. Every yeah. single one of those mounds is an unexcavated ruin that hasn't, we don't have the money or the manpower to be able to excavate and refresh it. Uh, the Mexican government just hasn't put any interest toward it. And I remember that just blowing my mind. I mean, I could probably count a hundred of them just from where we were standing. Yeah. Um, you just look out and you see these mounds and you're like, well, that could be a church, that could be a home, that could be another there's a little village over there. And it was incredible to me because growing up in Texas, I knew a lot about Texas history and that stretched back to 200 years for the most part right. for what they taught us, you know? And this was talking about things that were 2000 years old. And it just, it really just struck me as, God, this is incredible. The amount of energy and manpower that went into building this entire civilization yeah. and they're all gone. They're everything's yeah. gone and we're just letting it all grow over and, and die, you know, and letting the forest reclaim, you know, what was originally just flat land. Yeah. Just think of all the history that yeah, we might be able to cover. That's just bizarre. People live there, families with kids running around. Like it was insane to me. I remember hitting that. I was just a kid at the time, but I was like, man, this is absurd. I, I've never experienced something like this before. Yeah. Prime storytelling right there. Absolutely. <laughs> and I still, I know you've done A Girl in the Mayan Tomb. I've never yeah. done a book about the Mayan culture. I knew I need to, I, I mean to. Uh, it's just, a, you know, it's I haven't been doing much of anything author, lately. It's a rite of passage, man. Every thriller author. <laughs> it, it, it has to have a Maya thing. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. I got into Inca a little bit. So, yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah it's, it's all the same. It's all the same. It's, it's, it's taught in the same course in elementary school <laughs> in the United States, at least. It's the same, the same three paragraphs <laughs> that cover Central and South America include Inca, Maya, and Aztec. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. Good so. stuff. And well, that's, that's what I have today. I hope if you're listening to this, I really hope that you're getting something out of it. Even if it's just entertainment on your commute, that more than what we expect, you know, that's what we're doing it for. And anything besides that, anything over and above is just icing on the cake. But if you're an author or struggling writer, trying to be an author, whatever it is, and you, this is in any way helpful to just kind of hear how we kind of go through research and try to tack on what if statements in order to make an idea come to fruition. That's what we're doing this for. And we want to hear from you. So if you've got any advice or feedback, or you've got an idea, or you're struggling with something, uh, we are two full-time writers struggling with it as well. So reach out to us. You can get us, ping us at hello at stuffthatsreal.com. Of course, visit our website, stuffthatsreal.com, and let us know you're listening. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, I know there's been a little bit of gap in coverage here, but I've been moving around the world. So now that we're settled down, until next time, there's old episodes you can go pull up and I guarantee they're all just as good as the last, if not better. Yeah. Go backwards too, because I think they get better that way. So we, we would just get worse they and get, worse. They get better. <laughs> the closer you get to the, uh, yeah, the beginning, especially the episodes where I think one, I know I had, and possibly you had COVID at the time that we were recording. So <laughs> it's like, the, I the lethargy, die, but I must talk about the Mayans. <laughs> the lethargy sessions. Yeah. But tell us all right, guys, spot well, which episodes those are. 
Yeah, if you reach out to us, we'll give you a hat or something. I don't know. I'll make Kevin buy a hat. <laughs> no, no hats. No promises. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, this is uh, this is your host, Nick Thacker with Kevin Tumlinson. And uh, we hope you're enjoying the show. Tune in next time for Stuff That's Real That You Didn't Know Was Real But Also Is Cool podcast. Over and out. Stuff That's Real. Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages, eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str.